Hold on to your butts. (laughs) (laughs) Boop. Welcome to episode 69 of the Civil War Breakfast Club. Because it takes two of us to make this podcast happen, I am joined as always by the guy who has put up with my Tuesday moods for 68 episodes. Let's see if he makes it through another one. How are you, Darren? And here we are at episode 69, which is the one episode that we always knew what the topic would be, which is sex oh. and the Civil War. How are you? Wow. Well, wow. That was quite the intro right How there. Was that, that? Was, that, was, huh? that was pretty, pretty solid. Well done. Well done. <laughs> so, yeah. So we are back. We have talking about sex and the Civil War. We'll talk that in just a little bit. And we've got some fun stories to talk about. It's always a fun topic. Um in that whole thing. So how are you? How's 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 everything going on on a hot mood today? How's the mood today? I'm good. It's not Tuesday, so I'm not in a bad mood and we just actually oh. wrapped up our book club discussion with Kent Masterson Brown, author of Retreat from Gettysburg and George Mead at Gettysburg, so that was really really awesome to have done that. Oh. Thanks to everybody who joined us for that. Um but yeah, so but this episode will drop. It's going to be our first episode of 2022. Wow, time flies. Time flies when you're having... Anyway, so what's going on? It does. Well, wait, as the host, let me ask you. Let me be a lady and ask you, what are you drinking, my man? Well, (laughs) I'm I'm drinking, because we're talking sex in the Civil War, I'm drinking a drink called Liquid Hugs. And uh, and that's what it's called right there. And I'm drinking out of my Civil War Breakfast Club company mug because, well, that's what I got. I don't have any scantily clad nudie lady gloves. Um, you know, uh, mug. So that's what I got. So that's the best I can do. Well, I am drinking um, by Great Lakes Brewery out of Toronto, Ontario, Thrust. No coincidence to our episode that we're recording tonight, but anyway, maybe a little bit. But I am also drinking it out of our Civil War Breakfast Club company mug as well. Excellent. Excellent. So there so. we go. So let's get into this episode, Sex in the Civil War. This is the one episode that when we started talking about doing this podcast, we talked about, um, you know, getting to episode 69 um, before we even started recording episode 61 or 61 episode one um, that we wanted to make episode 69 an episode yeah, about sex and the Civil War. And last year yeah. at Valentine's Day, uh, we did an episode about Valentine's Day and all that, but it didn't touch on the stuff we're going to touch on tonight, which is going to be about uh, pornography and uh, venereal <laughs> disease <laughs> And just some of the stuff that happened during the Civil War, um, as well as a couple of fun general stories to do with sex and the Civil War. So, so, we're going to talk before, too, when we get started, we're going to talk about the, how before and during the Civil War that America was kind of a weird, weird place on how sex was perceived. I mean, you were coming out of that yeah. Victorian image of well, espousal think sex. People and- think Victorians were very prude when it came to sex, and they actually weren't, especially in the Americas, right? Well, no, but there was still that fear. They didn't know how to handle it. And the other issue that was exploding was because of technology. You had that an exploding industry um, of pornography, mm-hmm. which was because of photography and newspapers. The Civil War was really the dawn of American pornography and what they called yellow-covered literature. And, mm-hmm. and you know, during during the war, you know, soldiers found themselves far from home, mostly young men away from their home for the very first time, and. They had to find ways to solve their purian desires, Mary, <laughs> while the while their significant others were away, right? And you know that bubbling male testosterone was was a big problem God. for both armies. 
while, while they're in camps, you know, and the politicians had to deal with these entrepreneurial people finding yeah. ways to profit off of these these young and horny soldiers in camp. It really was. And young and it was horny soldiers. But they were. And it was becoming a gigantic social issue, especially in the North. And, and, um, yeah. and definitely the, the, the concept of pornography was debated. It was going on, but it was really exploding. And and they didn't even know how to define pornography at the time. And the common, the common definition was, I'll know it when I see it, which people still use today. And to deal with this, the government passed laws and, and the soldiers, you know, eventually found themselves in trouble with the U.S. Army as they tried in vain to keep these soldiers on well, their bayonets and their blue trousers, for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> That's what they were trying to do. And the biggest pain in the ass for the Army was the fact that the U.S. mail was delivering large amounts of porn to these troops and there was nothing they could really do to stop it. No. And despite the fact that the government tried fining people 500 bucks if you were caught sending porn through the mail. Um, you know, to make it worse, you know, men would show up with these camps armed with obscene materials, books and pamphlets and pictures and drawings and sold it to the men directly. And, and what I like to call smutlers, Mary. Smutlers. <laughs> it's a phrase I invented right there. And I, mean, I, I imagine, you know, the internet in camp must be really slow. The buffering must have drove the soldiers crazy after a while. So, so <laughs> they can't on, smutlers, get on that reb tube. I had a trouble with that. But these smutlers, as we call them, really benefited and they, the government hated it. And the other thing, too, is, you know, we mentioned how these young soldiers in camp, how they were. Not every soldier was like this. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're a religious type, kind of like. Dare Howard? I say an old Howard type. Oh, yes. right. Yeah, exactly. There right? was some that were very, very offended by this uh, this porn coming into yeah. the camps. I would imagine my favorite we'll, general we'll probably talk, was we're too. We're going to talk about, yeah. No, we're, we're going to talk about people like that in more detail in a little while. But they're in camp and they're being inundated with this stuff that's dropping into their camp. And, you know, um, one Union soldier, he said that soldiers are reading flimsy publications, obscene books, that are turning their minds into dingy clusters filled with cobwebs and death damps of groveling desires. To me, that sounds like he could be writing for porn. Whoever wrote that complaint, by the way, <laughs> just saying. Okay, he missed his calling. There he, go, you know okay? what? You know what? The one that you least expect it is the one that's getting it. So now, I no think that kidding. was that guy, right? Yeah, <laughs> it probably was. But <laughs> but soldiers did their best initially to hide this stuff. They put it in their boots. They put their pictures in their hats. But as soon as the war went on, it seemed to be everywhere. So they, it just didn't bother them anymore. They said, the hell with it. And, you know, Marsena Patrick, you know, we talked about him at mm -hmm. some point. He's a yep. Union general from Ohio who saw action at um, South Mountain and, and Antietam, among other places. You know, he wrote, I seize the vilest of obscene books, which I made a great haul. So imagine you're a officer and you're in camp and you, you see all these 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 you know, carts we're going to talk about in these, these stories. And um, as, you know, as the war went on, this obscene material was everywhere and it became yeah. a real big deal. It got so bad that Colonel Lafayette Baker, remember him? He's the guy who chased down Booth and Harold mm -hmm. in Virginia after the, after the assassination, right? He was basically made a union vice cop in Washington, D.C., where most of these soldiers were camped at the time. This guy, Baker, he would break up brothels, that soldiers visited. He chased down and captured pornog you know, pornography and books 
that at the end, he had seized over $20,000 worth of porn, which is about a half a million dollars in today's money. That is quite the nudie magazine day. Wow. And where did that all disappear to? Well, I'll tell you where it all disappeared to. You know, what, what was the funny part about it is, you know where it all got sent? It got sent to Congress and then to the White House on the desk of Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Whoa. Now, here's the thing. Now, he, it was all being reviewed, whatever the hell that means, right? <laughs> yeah, but but what they did is they would take the porn, put it into one big pile on the White House grounds and burn it. Oh, yes. I was reading about that, how like and and two, they would do that when it got um, intercepted at the camps as well, because the soldier's mail was checked at the camps. And one soldier remarked that, you know, holy shit, that like there was piles of burning porn. You know, the one thing I was going to say, though, is did any of it wind up with Edwin Stanton? Because a lot of shit winds up with Edwin Stanton that we don't Uh, know where it went. I'd imagine his top drawer was filled, but but according to according to Baker, the president uh, enjoyed the sight of the burning, and, and he was invited to these big burnings, and he reportedly accepted the invitation to these events. Ooh. So there's the old rail splitter, you know, watching the old, you know, watching you know, <laughs> Debbie poor. does Danville burning <laughs> in the front Debbie yard, does you know. So Debbie like, does uh, Donaldson. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and Henry, you know, but but, but back. <laughs> We're not going to get through this. This is crazy. But 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 back, <laughs> but back then, you know, porn, you know, took all kinds of interest, like that, like it does today. Well, yeah, because it's, it's a kind of like you have to hide, right, from it. It's a shame, considered to be, especially in that time, right? Like you think about the Victorian era. We we all view, I think, today in the 21st century, the Victorians as being like really prudes and all that, and. And honest to God, they weren't like, I mean, you look at some of these, sol- like these soldiers and officers, how many kids they had. They're not like, I mean, Oliver Otis Howard, I mean, the Christian general, he had how many children? He had, he had a lot. Like He had quite know. a few, like I think seven or eight. So even we the had, Christian general about, is you know, enjoying John, himself. We, we talked about John, John Bell Hood, I think had, had 10 kids, I think. Yeah. Yes. About. He, he enjoyed so, himself too. So, so. But what's interesting too is like the anti, you know, the anti-slavery proponents would actually make and send these pornographic images of stories of these female slaves being taken advantage of by their white masters in these horrible ways. Baker called these slave owners um, human vampires, is what he called them, right? And the whole they what they were trying to do is they were trying to paint the picture that the South was almost like a forced harem, you know, mm. trying, you know. And he's tying sex to violence to, to spur this anti-slavery moment. But you know what happened? It blew up in their face because you know what? People in the North like that. Yeah, they, they started like, enjoying they that, like, which is like, they, they oh, like, God. They like the idea of master-on-slave interracial sex that turned people on in the North because it was so different. <sighs> and I don't, I'm just saying that, but that so it blew up in their faces, you know? But – the U.S. government's prime concern with porn in these union camps was really because it felt like it demoralized the troops and and it preyed on the morals and bodies of men. That's what they would say. Yeah. Um, but at, but at this point, porn and soldiering literally went hand in hand, and it was pretty much impossible to stop as the war went on. And that they called that yellow covered literature I mentioned mm-hmm. was in every theater of the war, north and south, and. And, and the fascination of pornography wasn't just enjoyed by the troops, but but the officers as well. And 
they wanted to, you know, ultimately officers were punished who indulged in it. Uh, you know, in, as Washington tried to curb it, some of them actually will talk here in a little bit about some of how they actually got court-martialed for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they would get court-martialed mar- for it. And that's what leads us into some of these different laws that had to be enacted and all that. And like Nashville was one of the first places where they really had to cut down on the prostitution that was happening because of the venereal disease that was spreading there. And so in Nashville, um, they had all these things that had to go against prostitution and all the venereal disease that was there. And there was at one point there was a boat sent full of these prostitutes that had all this disease and they sent it up the river and they were like, you need to go here. And there was like three different towns they had to stop in and every single town rejected them. And finally they had to come back to Nashville because they just wouldn't accept them there. Um, But eventually what happened in Nashville is like a prostitute, because the disease was spreading so rapidly among the soldiers, um, you know, a prostitute had to have a letter from a doctor saying that she was clear. And what it would say is she was given a license. License is hereby granted to um, Annie Perkins, a public woman to pursue her avocation in the city of Nashville, Tennessee, she having received a surgeon certificate of soundness, if found applying her avocation without such license and certification, she will be imprisoned in a workhouse for a period of not less than 30 days. So if she was found to not have a license or to be not having to go for her, her checkup, then she could be put in this workhouse. But what they had to do in Nashville as well is they had a soldier's syphilitic hospital because that's how bad these venereal diseases were spreading around. And they had one for the women as well that they had to go to. So this is one of the first instances we see of them recognizing that shit, this is part of the civil war. Like these men are, (laughs) these men and women are going to bang and they're going to get diseases. We have to somehow regulate this because it's going to happen. And that's what happened in this. So you have the, the soldier's syphilitic hospital in Nashville happening and trying to not just, they're not trying to stop what the soldiers and these prostitutes are doing. They're trying to regulate it because they're recognizing like, shit, this is part of this war and it, it needs to happen or it doesn't need to happen, but you can't stop it. You, you absolutely cannot stop it. Um, and then they had this, um, you know, there's the the Nashville Cyprigan's Hospital where the women were held as well. Um, and Nashville was one of the first places where this stuff had to kind of be cracked down and regulated upon because it was really starting to hinder the army in um, a very great way. I mean, it's a... You can imagine, I mean, if you think about it, we, we've talked a lot about Abraham Lincoln with this, this podcast about the stuff he's hearing about the wartime, the battles, things aren't going well, especially during the war. Yeah. Now he's finding out that these soldiers, there are, a lot of them are basically fraternity boys away from home for the first time. And oh, it's becoming exactly. it's becoming a it's becoming a huge issue. Now you're worried about getting, you know, shots or you're getting 
a, a, you know, malaria or some yellow fever type thing. Now you got to worry about getting, you know, gonorrhea and syphilis and, um, and God knows what the hell the Rose Woods is carrying. You know? Oh my God. What's a clown? Exactly. And there was funny stories out of Nashville. Like, uh, for instance, in Nashville in September of 1864, uh, Lady Godiva's ride happened um, where it said the good citizens of none other than Cherry Street from Cedar to Broad were treated to a site so insufferably disgusting that it would be allowed no mention in our columns were it not to call the law to prevent repetition of a similar occurrence, a fleshy field de joy, whose sense of modesty seemed wholly to have emerged in large development of her physical charms, entirely nude from her waist heavenward, in open hack, drove rapidly up Cherry Street. She was attired in a deep red dress, a jaunty hat trimmed with red. She reminded us reminded us of a conflict of arms in the ocean of blood as she passed the Maxwell barracks the hundreds of soldiers set up a lusty and continuous admiration better imagined than described there may be pleasure of those frail daughters of humanity in thus airing in the grateful airing evening air but it is a pleasure we would fain believed shared in by none other than themselves we think that the women who thus exposes to and pollutes the public view with her disgusting newness should be fined and punished to the full extent of the law. So there is a bit of, you know, with this, like, the women that do this, there's obviously prejudice against them, too. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, there's no question about it. And they, you know, the government tried to do a lot, and they weren't trying to be prudish. They were no. afraid of disease. Exactly. They were afraid of morality. And you also, like we said before, you've got soldiers who did, weren't interested in that. It was causing factions within within these camps. I mean, you what, what you were running into was these sexually charged, male-dominated camps of pure t- early 20s testosterone. Yep. Exactly. That's what you had. And you also had people trying to mail stuff to them to, to, to profit off of it you know, the people coming into the camps and, you know, the best they can do is they tried to, you know, regulate the, the, the prostitution industry. They tried to punish yep. the, the ones that, that weren't being regulated. But the thing they really wanted to do too, was they realized that these problems were not just specific to just the privates and the foot soldiers. Okay. It was the officers. Exactly. I mean, I mean they're, they're men too. And, you know, Colonel Ebenezer Pierce of the 29th Massachusetts Mary, he was a suburban Boston yeah. blue blood from my neck of the woods here from a wealthy Massachusetts family who found himself court-martialed in April of 1862 for conduct unbecoming of a gentleman. Okay. Now listen to what, what this fun lover did, by the way. Okay. Pierce allegedly was very fond of the ladies. And on one occasion he would sneak out of camp in disguise he went looking for love in all the wrong places. Ooh. Okay, that's what he would do. I can think but of the one other, other general that did that. Well, there's a lot of that. But this is the other thing he did, and they really tried to get him for it. He enjoyed um, – he, ha- he had a book called Fanny Hill. I'm going to tell about that in a second in detail, okay? He had this book, and he loved to enjoy reading the dirty parts to his soldiers. Yep. Just picture him on the campfire when sitting around him like a little kids at a campfire. Cubs go. That's what they used to and do. Right. And, and they're, while they're on the Virginia Peninsula, they're reading this. Now, let me tell you about this Fanny Hill. Okay, now this, this Fanny Hill was just oh, one of about many. her was many, many sultry stories that made their ways yep. into Civil War camps throughout the war. Now, this one, 
I mean, it's so funny when you read these details because it could be written today, right? Exactly. This one's a, it's a story of a naive country girl lured into a life of prostitution in the seedy London underground. Okay, you know. <laughs> that sounds like some of the Harlequin romance novels I see at the well, library yeah, work. But, but, <laughs> but, but Fanny, Fanny found herself in all kinds of situations, Mary. She found herself in scenes of public sex, orgies cross-dressing as as well as lesbianism basically this book had everything except a plumber and a pizza guy that's what this book had right so, it, so and a it bang barn where's the bang barn exactly well they probably had that but the book would get passed around the 29th massachusetts and was read by just about everyone in camp but pierce allegedly loved reading it to them and he pulled them all together and read all the dirty parts now it was funny but I'm not sure what Pierce was thinking, but I think he came from a rich family. I think he probably did this as a way to kind of level the social scale a little bit with these poor farmers and merchants that were privates and, and sergeants in his camp to maybe level that playing camp. But all he did was create a sexually charged camp. Now, yeah. Pierce himself found himself sitting on that military court as part of that formal court martial. And he felt he was being falsely blamed. He said that he was a victim of unrighteous, an unrighteous effort to disgrace his character. Now, the thing is, is he also had no idea. He said, I have no idea how the book got in my tent, but it certainly isn't mine. So that excuse has been going on forever. Oh, my ever, God. Okay? That's like drugs so, today. I don't know how the cocaine got there, no. but hey, no. If Not what mine. he should have said, what he should have said was he was just reading it for the articles. That would have got that, that's what he should have said. Okay. But he didn't, he didn't do that. But but some of the soldiers of the 29th actually testified against him, recalled how they read them the lurid parts out loud. And at one time, at one time he called some of the privates into his tent to to, to sing dirty songs, which they were asked to recite at the trial. Now, one guy, his name is Lieutenant Thomas Mayo. He testified and told a story of a song where a lyric, <laughs> a, a, a lyric described a man who put his hand where the curly hairs grow into where a court <laughs> official, uh, <laughs> into which a court official asked, was it a song called A Farmer's Daughter? And Mayo said, yeah, that's the one. So you the judge do the damn song <laughs> about that one lyric. Oh, my God. So it goes to show. So Ebenezer Pierce was eventually acquitted on all charges. Um, ironically, he lost his arm at a battle of White Oak Swamp soon later. So it probably cut down his porn activities anyway. So well, I don't know. You can probably make your other arm. I don't know. That's what Howard did. But you know what though? <laughs> at, but, but as as I mentioned, you know there are hundreds of Fanny Hill like books that are making the rounds yeah. around these Civil War camps. Absolutely, and they found their way into sold sources. And I got a couple of titles, Mary. These oh, are honest I to think God I true titles. Have okay, a few too. Okay, and such page turners as a bedroom bombardment, toilet stories of girls bathing, and my personal favorite, storming the enemy's breastworks, which proudly Ooh. teased its readers in. In the summary, that it tells the tale of a secession girl who unconditionally surrendered her breastworks to an armorous Union soldier. <laughs> and that's what it said. That was the preview. <laughs> unconditionally surrendered. Oh granted, you know. And so, and so um, another guy, another guy who who got himself in trouble was a guy named uh, Second Lieutenant William Lyman of the 13th New York Artillery. Yeah. He was stationed at Fort Hamilton, New York, in, in New York Harbor. And he had hosted several women in his tents. 
and allowed the soldiers to peek in and watch. Hosted. So he was hosting Hosted. Um, I'm doing quotation Lyman, marks for the people that exactly. can't see him video. Lyman also apparently had a righteous, righteous collection of porn photos that he was happily sharing with his men. And when he got caught red-handed, okay, wink, <laughs> which, which is what someone caught him, okay, he was found guilty. They got him on this one. Now, these pics were called uh, cartivist. Uh, there were small photos mounted on these little cardboard things, yeah. and they were suddenly everywhere. They were featuring nudes or scantily clad women, um, and it was the bane of the army brass's existence. These photos were the holy grail for the troops. They absolutely were. And, um, and this explosion of photography, and this, this is where it's funny, Mary, it went both ways. The yeah. explosion of photography also went the other way because the soldiers had their own pictures made. Some of the pictures involved soldiers with their flies down that they would mail back to their spouses back home. Oh, my God. I saw one okay. today that was kind of – I was like – I and it was not in relation to this episode. It was just something I saw on Twitter. It was a soldier, and he was posing, and I thought, Jesus, are you trying to be George Costanza? I mean, but that's, that's what it was. That was the, that was what the pose was like. It was like George Costanza. And I'm like, the fuck? (laughs) But, but the, but these carts were the playboy centerfolds of their day. And, and, and many soldiers, the ones who could get them, they told, they decked out and covered the inside of the tents with these pictures. One soldier, 18 year old kid named Thomas Galway, uh, he was part of the eighth Ohio. He was in camp in Falmouth, Virginia. And yep. took a bad homesickness, he loaded his wall of tents with these photos. It was like a college freshman's dorm room with, with you know, <laughs> pictures of, of, of bikini pictures up on the wall. What oh, he my did. God. And, and here's the thing, too, is the ones who couldn't afford the real ones, you know yeah. what they did? They got photos from a paper called Leslie's Ladies Magazine, which is like the, today's Sears catalog. They were kind of cutting out the bra pictures oh and my putting them on their God. tents. Oh, my God. So it's amazing how similar the times were. Yeah, nothing changes, right? Galway said he was he was freezing cold in, in Falmouth, Virginia. He said, "We were we were half starved, but at least we could feast our eyes." That was the quote he said. <laughs> I mean, these are real soldier quotes. It's hilarious. That is um, so funny. I'm glad nothing's again, not, changed. No, no, it's, people are people. It's exactly, they are. Exactly. It, and it, it goes back to that Victorian sexual thing you talked about, you know. Well, yeah, they, they think they're all prudes, right? And it that's that's the funny thing about it is, you know, people think they're all prudes and they're not. Um, but, you know, I think the next thing we're going to go into is some stories about a few particular generals. Well, we're going to do that in a second, but I got yeah. a couple more stuff I want to get to real quick because yeah. as I mentioned before, not everybody was into this. No, there were some who were pretty weren't. pissed off. And I want to tell a story about a guy who was a soldier in the 17th Connecticut named Anthony Comstock, okay? Because it's important oh, to tell yes, his Comstock, story, okay? Yeah. So, Comstock. He was, so he was part of, he was from New Canaan, Connecticut, and he was a one of these super offended people. He probably got sick of the traffic in 95 in Connecticut and he lost his mind. That's probably what it was. Oh, super offended people. So he's like social so, justice oh yeah. warrior. So exactly. So he, he's going to join the 17th Connecticut in December of 1863. Now his brother, a guy named Samuel, was killed at Barlow's Knoll in Gettysburg a few months before. He was part of that that regiment of the 17th that got slaughtered at Barlow's yeah. Knoll. 80 to 90% casualties, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. But comes to, tra- and here's the thing too is, 
he traveled to South Carolina with his regiment, and he described in his, his memoirs about seeing all these battles and seeing these injuries. The only problem was he was full of shit because he never saw one battle. He ended up basically killing time in St. Augustine, and that's the only killing he did because he was at a, he was at a base there, and they didn't do a damn thing. But what he did, though, is since he couldn't get involved in war, he got involved in a war on porn. So he was the guy. He was the narc. So instead of being being universe rebs, it was it was him versus these poor people. So he felt it was his job to save young men from their erotic imaginations and confiscate photos he gathered of seeing newspapers from the regiment. Wow. So you can only imagine how popular this made him in that camp. One day he returned to his tent to find it full of garbage and full of smoke. His soldiers like the hell. He helped spearhead the directive of the 17th Connecticut that would mean they had no liquor on Sundays. They were required to sleep in their own tents every night. And he was so outspoken. Um, he was basically the, the, the regiment's Ned Flanders is what he was. He right. really, really was. Oliver Otis Howard is the Civil War Ned Flanders. Well, and I don't think he was as bad version. as this guy that you're talking about. No. I, you know, Howard had but, a little bit more leeway than that. But his story, though, because there were a lot of people in the North who were mortified by this pornography thing. I mean, they just were. Pornography? So his – so exactly. So he became kind of, kind of a quasi-hero to a lot of these people. So right. um, his story was embraced by the North and saw pornography as an abomination that needed to be stopped. So – and it's so funny how Comstock – it's the pop culture that you give me a hard time about. Pop culture? The, t- the TV show The Office – Yes. The prude hold on now Angela. Remember what her cat's name was? Angela. What? Oh, what was Angela's cat's name? It was Comstock. That it was. The was name of the yes. And it was, and, and she named it Comstock after this guy in the TV show. That was wow. how she was. Right. And so I hate Angela. De- oh God. By, by December of 1864, Congress is debating the 13th Amendment, right? The one that abolished slavery. Yeah. But it was as time went on. They were using the sex uh, stuff in this morality thing yeah. to kind of redefine marriage. So what they did too is they made it so any black soldiers fighting in the Union, their wives would receive pensions, which is which is kind of a new deal. Yeah. Um, and what it also did too is they strengthened up that male rule, yeah. where it said that if you if you get caught mailing porn, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. It was supported by a guy from Ohio named Senator John Sherman, whose brother Billy took a run through Georgia one time. Yes. Right? Yep. And it so, was. so it was that. So um and it was it was funny because the the, the, the law wasn't strong enough for some states, especially New York, which was mm-hmm. kind of the cradle of pornography. It just was, right? Ooh. And um in New York, a very strict anti-porn law was passed that was supported by a group called the Young Man's Christian Association also known as the YMCA today, Mary, who wanted to expand that reach across all media sources. So they were really looking to really, exactly, exactly. And there's, there's a lot of irony with that, you know. Um, but the thing about the effort was, you know, that that effort, of course, was aided by Anthony Comstock, who, who helped yeah. police. Now, here's what's funny about this guy. He made 15 citizens arrests of people with porn. Can you imagine that? That's what he was. He was the Elliot Ness of porn. Holy is what he shit. ended up being and so that's a great movie a, whatever elliot ness is in oh yeah exactly and there's a phrase that came out of the war called comstocking which is yes a too actually it's funny know? comstock comes up in one of my favorite video games 
uh, Bioshock Infinite Comstock as a character in that. Yeah, that's a really interesting. And so, so it goes it goes on and on and on. But but to your point, you know, some of our friendly generals who we know very very well certainly uh, certainly dealt. You know, they certainly enjoyed themselves. And so I know um, I know you're excited to talk about talk about one of them there. Though they did. So there's there's one I want to start off with first of all, really quickly, that he has come up. He's my namesake for tonight. My namesake for those that are not in video, my name is Earl Van Porn. Um, Earl Van Dorn. Just really quickly before I get into the main one I'm going to talk about, Earl Van Dorn was looking for love in all the wrong places. Um, so he was known as a womanizer. Um, and anyway, he ends up having an affair with uh, Dr. Peter's wife. And one day, Dr. Peters returned home to be mocked by the local townsfolk to find out about the affair. And Dr. Peters went to Van Doren not long after that to ask for a leave of absence from the army. And Van Doren gave it to him. And then what does Dr. Peters do? He shoots him and gets killed. Perfect example of looking for love in all the wrong places. It's, it's, cer- it's certainly, it certainly was. Legendary. Is Earl Van Dorn. But the main one I want to talk about tonight is General Governor K. Warren. Um, so he is the Nikki Six of the Army of the Potomac, as we have said in one episode of ours. And the funny thing about Governor K. Warren, so um, after graduating from West Point, he goes to join uh, the topographical engineers with none other than Captain Andrew Ackerson Humphreys, who is my spirit animal because he swears all the fucking time, um, joins him. Humphreys is 40 years old at the time. So Warren would describe him as an exceedingly pleasing man in manners and conversation. And Warren is going to come and he's going to be with Warren throughout these escapades. Um, And they're going to be friends for the rest of their lives. So in the early 1850s, Warren keeps keeping, he begins keeping a journal. And this journal tells of all his escapades with the women he's, he's with. So New Year's Eve... 1850, 1851, he's going to spend it drinking wine with many of his new acquaintances and spending the evening with several of the young ladies whose names turn up frequently thereafter in his journal, um, which is um, to one of his biographers. He would record details of his experiences in New Orleans, where he is with Humphreys, which was a social world, which he was happily joined champagne suppers, hunting expeditions, card games, evening surveys, and the beautiful New Orleans Bells. His birthday happens to be January the 8th. All the ladies of my acquaintance drank my health at dinner. And he also wrote his sister Eliza, I have now quite an extensive lady acquaintance with no less than three of which I am very interested and at one point, he ends up in Baton Rouge, in which he says he went to a dance that evening where he met a Miss Chambers and I miss I forget, which whom I flirted. So he doesn't remember her name, but he flirted with her. Um, 
And then, well, but while we're, while we're Warren works, he plays hard, which I think we're going to see in the general that Darren is going to talk about. Uh-huh. He carries on with his social life that he absolutely loves. So he and Humphreys end up going to Pascagoula, Mississippi, where Warren ends up having to look after Humphreys because Humphreys is not doing very well at the time. Keep in mind, they are serving the Mississippi, which is going to come in hand for later on in the Civil War when Grant is up there. This is what they're doing right now. And by this point, when Warren is in this point, at, at this time, he's when he writes in his diary, I've won quite a reputation for dancing and can have a partner in any lady I wish. My success here at the South quite astonishes me. It's like, wow, dude, you're making it. And as much as he is with ladies, as I said, he's very much, you know, like he's hard at it with work as well as an engineer. And he says, I am distinguishing myself in a new line for an engineer, but the truth is I have nothing else to do. And it's kind of like, really, dude, your diary (laughs) proves nothing else. Because he wrote in his diary all his escapades that he's doing. And then he eventually travels back east um, and he sees a lot of plays, meets a lot of ladies, but then we have the Civil War happening. But Governor K. Warren is a guy that before the Civil War, he's like, clearly playing the field but he's also working really damn hard at being an engineer becoming who he is but it's fun because in his diary and his letters to of all people his sister he's writing of all this shit that he's doing as well with the ladies on the side oh and that's the thing is again these are these are people too you know and these exactly too, and, you know and my little story and people who, who you know, who study these things or read these things, these are no surprise stories. But some people might surprise, be surprised how Winfield Scott Hancock handled himself in his younger and more vulnerable days, Mary. I'm not he shocked by a, that reading about how, uh, after reading about uh, Warren, because they're kind of the same way. They were playboys before they were married, well, and then they were all like, we're done. He was a he was a soldier's soldier, but he was also a ladies' man, is what is what Hancock was. And you know, real quick, real quick background: eighteen forty four West Point grad, he was sent to the second. He was a um, second lieutenant in the sixth U.S. Infantry. Got sent to Red River um, before heading to Mexico in eighteen forty seven in Pueblo, Mexico. So, on the on the fields, you know, Hancock was breveted as a first lieutenant. Know for his actions at places like um, Cherbusco and Contreras, so he he had a strong military success. You know, um, he he didn't fight in Mexico City the siege because he was sick, but he did remain in the city after the fall until the final peace treaty was so, was signed eventually in 1848. But during that time, he took full advantage and he proved that he was not all work and no play in, in the early part of 1848. Oh, he's like Warren, now, right? He's no. Exactly. exactly. Now, d- during this time, don't forget, he's a 24-year-old bachelor, okay? And his 22-year-old wingman was a guy from Virginia named Harry Heath. And <laughs> and th- they would they would hit the town nightly, and they would scope out some of Mexico's finest senoritas. That was what nice. they were looking to do. Now, right? amazing. Now, what's fun- what was funny was that one of their guys who they wanted to go with them was Louis Armistead. Um, 
and he was married, wanted no part of it. He wanted right. to stay back, so he didn't go. So just picture Heath and Hancock hitting the town. Now, Hancock, I mean, he was a good-looking dude. I mean, he was a sharp-looking, you know, military guy. Mm. He was quite the hit with the locals. I'm just saying, I mean, I'm just saying, back, you know, whatever, okay? Um, and according to Heath, Heath mentions that he was a tall, handsome soldier with irresistible charm that captured, that captivated the Mexican girls. Did he lie so, about his height? Like, I'm, I'm sure so, he did. So he probably, he probably told me he was 5'4", he told me he was 5'2 and a half. <laughs> but but, but, but what, what, he, what he did was Heath hung around Hancock trying to benefit trying to be a pile of fish and trying to because wow. he knew if he was going to hang around Hancock in his nocturnal adventures, it might pay off for him. So he, he writes, Hancock and I were quite often invited to attend entertainments given by the Mexican ladies in the city. I owe my invitation to Hancock with whom these senoritas were all in love. Now, apparently Hancock would tell a different girl every single night that he had fallen in love with her. And Heath once he asked Hancock, how in the world can you possibly say you're in love with a different woman every single night? And Hancock responded, we are at war with Mexico and peace has not yet been made. And as you know, all is fair in love and war. Wow. That was a quote Hancock said. So he was a honest to God. I mean, he was a he You was know who absolute... would agree with him is William Tecumseh Sherman, because William Sherman, when he was out in California, he had um, a lady in California that uh, he was kind of doing the same thing with. So, yeah, he would agree with Hancock on that. But, you know, but, you know sadly, the, the peace treaty does get signed late in 1848. And Hancock is going to get sent to St. Louis. and He's going to camp at that Jefferson Barracks with the rest of his 6th Infantry. Now, in St. Louis, those that 6th Infantry and Hancock, all of them, were conquering heroes. And they were all invited to all these big time parties. And on one event, Hancock is serenaded by a young teen socialite who opened up her window and threw down her white glove. And he held on when he caught it. And the woman was a woman named Elmira Russell, okay, oh, the wow. daughter of a wealthy merchant. And they soon became hot and heavy. Ooh. And they were the talk, they were the talk of the town. And he she was determined, was she? Well, she, she was very determined. She probably was, you know, yeah. a champ. Know and but but he also noticed that you know Hancock had become a changed man, like we said a little while ago. At this point, so eventually they're going to get married in January of 1850 uh, at Elmira's father's house, and the wedding was the event of the year in St. Louis. I mean, not much goes on in St. Louis, but that, that was a big, <laughs> big time, right? So. Just picture outside of the house where they got married, there's a huge crowd gathered. It was so yeah. big that the police had to come and they had to break it up and it ended up being a big, big deal, right? But um, from that day on, I mean, Hancock's days as a playboy were over because they remained married uh, for the next 36 years until death do them part when Hancock had died. And she would go on to live down the road and Hancock is, you know, he's they're not buried together, which is kind of strange to me. Yeah, that that um, Elmira is buried in St. Louis with her father. That that would be interesting to know why that happened, but you know, I think it it it's kind of like like Warren and his wife. Once he met his wife, it was like till death do them part, and I think that's what happened. Um, but you have someone like William Tecumseh Sherman, who is very much like Hancock is, um, you know, before he's married and he definitely has somebody when he's in California as well, which I mentioned before. Um, but I find it interesting. 
that when these guys suddenly they're like, oh yeah, we're going to settle down. Cause Warren totally settles down after he meets his wife. Um, and there's many of them that I think do. I, I think they do. I, I think they certainly do. But I, I think, um, I think what this whole narrative is, was, you know, it, it, despite what you see the Victorian age and you see gone with the wind and Margaret Mitchell's book. Yeah. These are regular people from, they are. I mean, I mean, porn was delivered to lincoln's office yeah there's right? no way he didn't look at it <laughs> nope nope he never would he never did never did but i mean well whatever it was but 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 you can imagine this big porn burning at the white it just it's so funny how yeah how but there's also is, but... a lot of myths that stem up around it too you know like you you think of joseph hooker where it's like okay that's where we get the term hooker it it's not, it originated in, I think it was the 1840s, but it became popular because of him. But mm -hmm. Hooker actually wasn't doing a lot of that stuff at all. He no. wasn't drinking anymore. He had quit drinking by the Battle of Chancellorsville. Um, and he wasn't doing a lot of that stuff anymore. He had stopped doing that. And that's where a lot, there, there is a lot of myth from the Civil War from that. And we discovered that too. Like we discovered that somebody like mm -hmm. Bushrod Johnson was actually, <laughs> he wasn't really into going to the bang barn, right? Same, same with, was with Custer. You know, exactly. One. Yeah. Cu I mean, Custer, Custer, Custer did before he was married, but once he was married, yeah. he, he didn't. Um, but then you have some of these generals that, that were like general William Tecumseh Sherman. He he definitely visited the Bang Barn. He was one of the ones that did. Uh, I'm I'm sure. I mean, well, he had you know he had girlfriends. That there's those rumors that they didn't burn Charleston because he had a girlfriend there. Absolutely that true. Yeah, but some guy at a bar told me to, so it sold me that. So it must be true. But who knows? But I but I think what's fun to study about this is um is these these guys, especially in the camps. You can imagine these tents. Yeah. With all these pictures taped to the wall and all these guys passing. And reading these little stories and giggling yeah. like school kids about these little <laughs> these these little pamphlets and they yeah. got and what an absolute nightmare it was for the union. If you're Hank, if you're um, Halleck or Stanton or Lincoln or any of these people, right, and you're fighting this war, and now you're getting reports that these guys are all into porn and that the officers are getting into it too. Yeah, I mean, it just like you got it. It's like it just goes on, but it affected the South too. It wasn't it wasn't just the North? Oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, no, it was in the South as well. You know, but but it's 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 definitely fun to study, and I guess this episode is an appropriate episode to do it with. Um, but I think it's I think it's fun to study, and there's some great books that you can read about this and learn about it because it's it's an interesting subject, interesting ta uh, taboo and topic. But again, it goes back to the fact that these are these are people; they're regular people. Mm -hmm. um, every one of them had their own stories, and these are for the most cases these were young men away from home, like I said, missing their girlfriends, missing their wives, or just missing nobody and they just were you know it's their first to find something to do their, I mean. if, if they're an 18 year old guy and it's their first time away from home they're gonna be like whoa what what's happening but another general to mention too is dan sickles mm -hmm. like he was pretty you know before the civil war after the civil war he's another one to study if you're interested in this topic 
Um, and I'll leave it at that. Just study him. Uh, he, he's certainly one. He's certainly one. But I'll tell you. But it's a good to know. It's good. It makes sense now. You know why the soldier's most popular request from the sutler was socks. It all makes sense now if you think oh about it. Oh my god. You know, but <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun to it's fun to think of all this. It stuff. is. In any case, we have this is definitely a, we've been we've been talking about a lot of serious stuff lately. Rufus Dawes and battles. So it's fun to lighten up a little bit, have some fun. So it heading is. into the new year, so 2021 is finally coming to an end. And so hopefully we can end this on a positive note as we, we head can. into 2022. So what's next for us? What's coming on the pipe? So next is we are going to be talking Arkansas Post. We're going to be going back to Vicksburg to talk Arkansas Post. We're going to be doing that. Be That'll awesome. be a good one. We're going to talk about the beginning of the Vicksburg campaign. We touched yep. on that a little bit last year, so we could spend more time. Yeah, we're going to be going back well. there. And then we got some more fun stuff coming down the pike exactly. to be determined when you tell me what we're doing yep. and then we will do it. So that's January, that, so. just to let our listeners know, January 26th, we are going to be having our zoom meeting with Tom McMillan about his book about Armistead and Hancock at Gettysburg mm-hmm. via zoom 6 PM Eastern standard time. That's our first book club for 2022 is Tom McMillan's book about Armistead and Hancock. <laughs> Yep, and you can read about those Hancock stories I mentioned in that book yes. that he talks in detail about Armistead and Hancock's early days, yep. which were fun and action-packed. So, any final words from you, Fincheru, as we head off into the, the great blue yonder well, again? Since this is our first episode of 2022 that we'll be dropping, I want to thank you, Darren, for being the most awesome co-host um, ever and amazing human being. You're amazing. Oh, I- right back at you so thank you it takes, and, it takes two, to, two to tango oh. well, it, yeah and also to our listeners to all of you for our support um as we go into 2022 we seriously appreciate you so thank you no no if we have a fun episode we make light of a lot of stuff we do appreciate everything i mean this it means a lot to us that people listen to this we're just a couple of civil war nerds hanging out talking yeah. and, and people enjoy it and you know, uh, there's a lot of cool people we've met along the way, and we'll meet a lot more people going forward with some other things. So, any final words from you before we jump off? Or is that what was that what that was? You just asked me to do that, and I did it. <laughs> right, I guess we're good. I guess we're good. I can. Oh my god! I'm glad I'm not words. the only one that might be drunk. <gasps> um, Kidding. No. Unless it's on Sudafed and. Anyway, I'll give you anyway, a Mary, pass. It's a good time. Okay. All right. Anyway, we uh, we will talk to you all soon. Have a great, have a, hopefully you listen to this. You've had a safe new year. And 2022 will be better than 2021. Be. I promise. Stick with it. Stick with the program. And everything will be all right, as they said. So peace out, everybody. Have a great, uh, have a great weekend. And we look forward to talking to you on the other side. See y'all later. Bye. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Do-do-do-do-do.